We're looking at the subject this morning of miracles or black magic. And under that, in your bulletin outline, you'll notice the first thing is the paranormal counterfeits that I want to talk about a little bit. Let me break this word down for you. The prefix para indicates something beyond or beside. Okay, so a paramedic. You all know what a paramedic is. That's a trained medical person who is besides a doctor. That is, not quite a doctor, but a medical technician just the same. So para comes alongside um, to, to help. You're not going to get a doctor out in an ambulance running to an emergency scene, but the paramedicals have been trained for that. So, paranormal is something beyond normal experience, hence mystical, supernatural, beyond rational explanation. Christians are prone to use the word miracle. But when we do so, we're not generally questioning the reality of such because we believe that God, not natural law, controls the events of the universe. There is no indication in our use of the word miracle or the Bible's use of such with regard to Jesus and his disciples of anything that's shady or sleight of hand, deceptive or false. We believe miracles do happen and that they happen because of the sovereign God who is behind them. The term paranormal is not an exact equivalent to the word miracle. It is rather something beyond normal, but less than miracle. I know this is a bit confusing. Hang in there. That is, it is perceived to be miraculous. But in reality, its design is deception. And it only um, parrots, or can I say mimics, that which is really supernatural. Now we got a lot of that going on in our country. We have this clearly brought out in our text, 2 Thessalonians here, chapter 2, where Paul is talking about end time events, including the second coming of the Lord, in which God's people will be gathered to him, verse 1. And Paul is careful in this text to set the record straight because some had been spreading a letter supposedly penned by the Apostle Paul which asserted, well, Jesus has already come, verse 2. Well, you can see how that would really throw people into a twist. Paul refers to this as deception, verse 3, clearly so because Certain events must transpire before the day of Christ's coming, and those events had not occurred as yet. One, the man of lawlessness is to come who will openly oppose God in a ploy to exalt himself as divine, but whose real nature and work have the stamp of Satan upon it. Verse 9. What characterizes the work of Satan? Well, again, look at verse 9. Counterfeit miracles, counterfeit signs, counterfeit wonders. 
Counterfeit miracles, signs, wonders. Counterfeit. Verse 10, every sort of evil that deceives. Okay? So, not miracles, but counterfeit miracles. That is, the paranormal. Why counterfeit? Because there is trickery. There is deception in them. And because the nature of them is every sort of evil, verse 10. And think about this. If one is led astray from the truth by such, also verse 10, and believes the lie by such, verse 11, and perishes as a result, verse 10, and never repents of his or her wickedness, but is confirmed in it, verse 12, then that is the worst kind of deception and evil possible. This is damning stuff. The paranormal that's believed to be of God. And people follow that, and they follow it right into the pit of hell. Now those with enlightened eyes can see because Jesus has warned us up front what kind of person the devil is. Here's what he says. Here's Jesus' analysis of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. <laughs> For he is a liar and the father of lies. John 8, verse 44. Do you see anything wonderful, colorful uh, to anticipate in Satan? Now he's a liar. He's a deceiver. And, and on top of that, he's out to murder you. He's out to murder you. Now this is a most significant text on the character and activity of Satan. He is in love with murder. He lies through his teeth every time he speaks. And so deception and lies are in all that he does. There's no, Jesus says, there's no truth in him. Have you ever been tempted to say, well, so-and-so has a, there, there's a, there's a smidget of truth there. Uh, yeah, they got some wrong points. And so, no, no, if it's of Satan, there's no truth in it. And if it has the smidget of truth, it's only that it might deceive you. So he's up to no good. Or the preacher that preaches that way is up to no good. And this is exactly why the Apostle John warned, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Many. This is John writing, yeah, in the first century. And he says there's many. Now he goes on. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Wow, that's pretty strong. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Oh, they talk about God, don't they? Yeah, but they don't have God. Whoever continues in the teaching 
in the teaching of the scriptures as both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house. Do not welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Second John verse 7 and following. Wow, what an analysis. It's like John's writing about our day, isn't it? Clearly John is warning against the deceiver, Satan, and his charlatan counterfeits who claim to be spokesmen for God but deny the fundamentals of the faith such as the humanity of Jesus and his incarnation. Now to bolster the deception, Paul says in our text that such utilize counterfeit miracles, signs, wonders. Counterfeit. Would to God that God's true people would be discerning enough to realize this, but often, often we are not. Shame on us when we are not. Historically, Satan has had his parrot practitioners, can I say it that way, of the paranormal in every age. There's a lot of biblical examples. You will, be, you will remember the contest between Moses and the sorcerers of Egypt. I'm referring to Exodus 7 verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So, you, you know, God anticipated that when Moses and Aaron got to Egypt, they would run into the sorcerers who claimed to be, you know, spokesman for God. He goes on, verse 11. Pharaoh then summoned his wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But, now here's the, here's the kicker, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. What's this about? Well, Aaron's truly miracle snake was countered by the sorcerer's paranormal snakes, proven in that Aaron's snake swallowed up the illusions. Aaron's snake was a confirmation of God's truth. The paranormal snakes were designed to deceive by giving the illusion of the same divine power. Oh, wow, you have a divine power, but we have divine power too. Unfortunately, the sorcerers did have their impact on Pharaoh because he chose to believe the lie rather than the truth. And you know how this contest just goes on and on through the whole thing until the exodus occurs. In the New Testament, we have Simon Magnus in Acts 8. Now, Magnus is, it, they didn't have last names in Bible days. Magnus is a title, Simon the Great. Simon Magnus the Great, Simon the Great, who is said to have, and I'm reading scripture now, practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. 
And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. Acts 8, verses 9 through 11. The hold Simon Magnus had over the people was his ability to perform the paranormal, to use his satanic powers to amaze the people with lying wonders. So much so that he accepted the accolades of the people that he was the divine power known as the great power. I'm Simon the Great. Now why do I say his satanic power? Well, firstly, because he took the credit for what he did and he allowed people to think of him as divine as a no-no in the scripture when it comes to God's true prophets. Secondly, when Peter confronted him, he said to Simon, here's Peter's insight, your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Acts 8, verse 21 and 5. Now there's insight from, the, from a true apostle. You know, you think you're something great, but I see you're full of wickedness and deception. And number three, when the people heard the preaching of Philip, and I'm reading scripture, and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many, many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Acts 8, verse 6. Wow. People could tell the difference between a magic trick and real healing power. Oh, and what was it that Philip preached? Was it his own glory? No, we read in verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. Didn't take any, any credit for the miraculous power of Christ that was being exhibited through him. So here again, we have the genuine miracles of God through Philip contrasted with the deceptive works of Simon Magnus through the paranormal. But when the people, I'm reading scripture, believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Chapter 8. Verse 12, they were converted and they were incorporated into the church. They could recognize the difference between a genuine miracle of God and counterfeit miracles by Simon the sorcerer. We read in Revelation 13 today the account of the beast, which is symbolic of the Antichrist and his prophets. He had two horns like a lamb. But he spoke like a dragon. Well, just think about that a bit. Jesus is portrayed in Scripture as what? The Lamb of God that 
takes away the sins of the world. So here you got this creature who has two horns like a lamb, but when he speaks, he's like a dragon, a serpent. That is always the way it is with Satan. He appears to be the Lamb of God, but underneath he is a deadly dragon. And what of his work? Revelation 13, verse 13. He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven. Ooh, heaven, place of God. Place of God's dwelling. Fire from heaven. Ooh. He commanded and caused fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of man. Because of the signs he was given power to do, he deceived. There it is. He deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image to honor the beast. Not honor God but to honor the beast. The paranormal always has deception as its undergirding base. And again, the worship is directed away from God, away from the gospel of truth to idolatry. Now, historically, Satan has had his parrots, his mimics of the ma uh, of the. Uh, Miraculous, using the paranormal to give uh, the indication that they are messengers from God. He is a play actor. All along, however, they are emissaries of darkness. And Paul warns in 2 Corinthians 11, such men are false apostles Listen to these terms. Listen to this description. False apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 13 through 15. Three times in this text, Paul uses the word masquerades. What does that mean? Well, it's a Greek word. Hang on. It's a pretty, pretty long. Metaschematizo. Schematizo, a schematic. Meta. A transition. A metamorphosis. Uh, changed schematic design. It means literally to change one's appearance. Meta scamizo. Uh, think of a pupa through metamorphosis becomes a butterfly. Okay, that's not quite it though. That is because the change is permanent. The butterfly does not go back to becoming a worm. It is a metamorphosis that has taken place. And it's permanent. But the word masquerade in our text describes a change of appearance which is transitory. That is to say, it is not permanent. 
But guess what? It is only the appearance of the real. Whether of an apostle of Christ, of angels of light, servants of righteousness, it is all a hoax. It's all a hoax. You've all heard of masquerade balls. People dress up in period costumes, sometimes to portray some famous person of the past or present and to disguise their own true identity. They wear a mask over their face. They appear as one thing when they are truly another thing. And usually we do not take such disguises very seriously because we know they are disguises. We recognize them as such. One of my favorite movies is Phantom of the Opera. And in this movie, which deals with a phantom who lives in the catacombs of the opera house, they have this masquerade ball. And Jared has a one-minute uh, segment on that that illustrates my point. Maybe. So silent, good monsieur. Did you think that I had left you for good? Have you missed me, good messieurs? I have written you an opera. Here I bring the finished score. Don Juan Triumphant. As the clip goes on, he jumps through a trap door and smoke flies up to give the appearance that he can materialize and dematerialize. It's all illusion. He's wearing a mask. Behind the mask is this grotesque creature that is not only marred physically, but he's marred in his soul. He has been a murderer at this point. He's killed people. Raoul, the love interest of Christine, jumps into the trapdoor to follow him with his sword drawn. He's going to do battle, and he ends up in a room full of mirrors. And all he can see is the guy dressed in red with the mask, and he's striking at what? It's an illusion. He's not there. That is like the evil one who comes across wearing a mask, hiding what he truly is in his nature and people buy into the illusion. What if Satan's men were skilled in black magic and in counterfeit miracles and the like? What if they were able to do what appeared to people's eyes and ears to be real and actually happening? 
would they not be very, very successful? Suddenly, people wouldn't be laughing at all. Instead, we would be in awe, perhaps begin to think that our eyes were actually seeing, our ears were actually hearing the truth. When all of it is deception. I wish I could say that believers were not sucked into this kind of deception or that these tricksters were not around in our day, but our text feeds upon the words of Jesus who said this, False Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible, See, I have told you ahead of time. Matthew 24, verse 25. And now Paul says in our text that the ushering in of the man of lawlessness will be characterized by counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. So then here is our dilemma. With the mockingbirds out there that are mimicking the true miracles of God through paranormal fakery, in these mind games, how are we to know the true and genuine of God from the look-alike charlatans of Satan's deceivers? I mean, if the illusions of the paranormal are so convincing as to almost deceive the elect of God who possess Holy Spirit discernment, by the way, how do we escape the deception in the end? Let me give you some tests. That's point B in your outline. Tests to detect the paranormal fakes. Galatians 1, verse 8 and 9. But even, listen to how Paul says this, but even if we, we apostles, or, now notice the next phrase, an angel from heaven. Whoa! Did I read that right? Even if we, we apostles, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Let him be damned to hell. And as we've already said, so now I'll say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that that you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. It's like Paul is saying, if you didn't get it the first time I said it, I'm going to say it again so that you really get it. One of the characteristics of devils masquerading as angels of light is to preach in the name of Jesus, a different gospel than Jesus preached. So you compare what you are hearing with what transformed your life the day you believed in Christ and repented of your sin and your eyes were open to the glory of Christ. And if it doesn't agree with that liberating gospel, it's false. It's false no matter how many God words the preacher uses. So here's the test. I'm calling it the test of the gospel. 
There are many things masquerading as the gospel. Be good. Just love Jesus. Try to live a responsible citizen in your country. Attend church. Say your prayers. Give of your material uh, comfort uh, 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 gifts so that you can help those that are less comfortable. None of these things liberated your soul. None of them. They are the bindings by which our souls are imprisoned. That's why people say, well, I'm not so bad. I give to the church. I go to church. I pray. I read the scriptures. I help my neighbor when he needs a project done. Da, 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 da. The test of the gospel. Test two is the test of doctrine. Now, people don't like doctrine. They think it is divisive, but the gospel is nothing without doctrine. And the central doctrine of the gospel is not man, but Jesus Christ. And so John cautions us, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Because, he goes on, many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 4 verse 1. Fox News this morning had a medium on there. Talking to Clayton. Clayton says, well, what what can you tell me? And she says, well, I I see someone in your your family who who had heart trouble. Oh, yeah, there's a real revelation, right? And he he says, oh, yeah, my my father has had heart trouble. Um, Well, I I, I, I see a, a history of heart trouble in your family. Duh! Well, Clayton says, yeah, my grandfather died of a heart attack. Oh, then she hears about the grandfather. Well, I want to tell you that your grandfather is doing well and your grandfather is looking over you, over you and watches over you and cares for you. He's okay. Your grandfather is working uh, for your good. And Clayton is, oh, wow, this is so cool. (laughs) Brethren, use your brains. John says many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then John proceeds to give us one test that we can apply. This is how you can recognize the spirit of, of God. Now, he's already told us that there are many spirits, so we need ways to distinguish them. He goes on, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. 1 John 4 verse 2. Test 2. If the gospel is the good news that saves men, Jesus Christ 
is the divine Son of God encased in flesh who's the Savior of those men. No good news without Jesus. Today with every false religion, the deity of Christ is denied. He's just a man. He's not the Jesus who has come from God. Well, don't be fooled by the Jesus jargon. The false preachers know how to pepper their messages with references to Jesus. They stick him in there every once in a while. No, listen to what they're saying about Jesus. Or claiming in Jesus' name. Compare it with the Bible. And what the Bible says that Jesus said or taught or did. And the comparison will be revealing. You cannot... Get rid of fake preachers in the word. You cannot trust them because there are many false teachers out there. And boy, if I ever get to the place where I deny Christ and begin to preach a different gospel, then I, be, then I have become false. You see? We need to be conscious of that. What about the miracles Purported by many in our day. Weeping icons, healing waters, people smitten in the spirit, released from some crippling ailment or malady. The wheelchair bound that are unable to stand and walk. What about them, Pastor? What are you going to say about them? Well, here's test number three. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 and following. And this will open your eyes. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder. I'm reading scripture now. He announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder. And if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, that is, it came true, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all of your heart. Wow. And with all of your soul. It is the Lord your God that you must follow him you must revere. The prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he preached rebellion against your God who redeemed you. He has tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded. It ain't miracles or allegedly miracles that should direct your thought and say, oh, this person's of God. Listen to the message. Test three. When the miracle happens, when the sign or wonder takes place, if the message preached by the spokesman directs the listener away from the Jesus of the Bible, the God of the Bible, that person is a false prophet. And it is to be rendered dead as to our reception of his teaching. This calls for discernment because, you see, the sign or the wonder happened. I mean, we saw it with our own eyes. Yes, but there is deception 
in the deed because the person is using the paranormal to deceive the listener, to turn you from the way of the Lord. And so test three is this. Miracles by themselves prove nothing. Nothing. If they deny the God supposedly behind them and lead you to other gods or other thoughts about God, which are just idle thoughts, I-D-O-L, idle thoughts. Now what about modern day practitioners of the paranormal. For years, many Americans have been searching for the spiritual side of life. That's been going on since the 60s, at least. They have not bought into the idea that the material world is all that there is. That came out of the Enlightenment period. said, well, you know, I don't believe in the supernatural. Just believe in what you can put, your eyes can see and what your hands can touch and so forth. Unfortunately, this curiosity for the spiritual fulfillment has led many down deceptive paths. Some people are all into UFOs. They're excited about this Mars trip, you know. Well, there's their life on Mars. Maybe because they found water. The occult world, astrological charts, tarot cards, Ouija boards, mediums, spiritists, yoga, transcendental meditation, channelers, crystals. It's practically endless. In March of 77, there was Heaven's Gate cult. They sought union with extraterrestrials who were supposed to be riding on the Haley Bob Comet. Yeah, we're going to, we want to go up there with them. 39 died. Before that, there was the Ghana mass suicide of 913 of Jim Jones' followers. And in his church in California, he convinced spectators that he could raise the dead. He performed the miracle 47 times, so-called. He also did, quote-unquote, surgeries on stage in which he allegedly removed organic junk from the body and cured cancer and other ailments in people. Here's the kicker. After he died, after Jim Jones died, some of his followers came forward to testify that because of threats by Jones, they had agreed to fake death and then stage resurrection at his command. And the surgeries were also fake. Jones would reach behind the clothes of a cult follower and pull out chicken gizzards and other organic material which had been planted in little pockets in their clothing. Now, with these kind of stunts, this wasn't made known to all the followers, obviously, But with these kind of stunts, Jones had his followers convinced that he had the power of God. The account of G. Brown came forward. She was supposedly struck dead for her insubordination to Jones. And then he raised her to 
life. And she gave this testimony of how benevolent his heart was. And she thanked Mr. Jones for being her savior. Her savior. Why then would it be implausible for Jones' normal followers to willingly drink Kool-Aid laced with cyanide and tranquilizers? Had they not seen him raise the dead many times? He failed test two. Jones accepted the praise of being Savior. Took the glory that should go to God. Test three, failed that too. The alleged miracles happened, but the message directed the people away from God. They were also deceptive. Nothing miraculous happened at all. It was all deceit, like the evil one who's full of lies and deceit. You say, well, who... <laughs> Pastor, who would fall for such stuff? Do you know who comprised Jones's followers? They were CEOs of companies. They were marketing, marketing analysis. They were engineers. They were people from all walks of life. And they turn to these things in times of uncertainty when their lives are falling apart. And they will go after any straw to grab a hold of any straw except the gospel of Jesus Christ that can bring the true message of hope and deliverance. The author of the Sherlock Holmes novels was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You know his character, Sherlock Holmes, as the brilliant investigator who used reason and logic and human deduction to solve the most intricate of cases. From the angle of the stab wound, he could tell the height of the assailant and whether he was right-handed or left-handed, whether the attack was from the front or from behind. A whiff of tobacco uh, smoke in the air would lead Holmes to track down the very tobacco that the assailant had used. No scrap of evidence was overlooked. This was Sherlock Holmes, right? But in real life, Doyle was most irrational. He believed in mediums. He was convinced that they could communicate with the dead. One day, Doyle met Harry Houdini. You know who Harry Houdini was? The great magician? Houdini's name is synonymous with magic. Now, not occult magic, just magic for fun, just trickery for fun. He could escape from many and all restraints, handcuffs, chains, padlocks, jails, even from inside of a safe. Doyle and Houdini locked horns when they met together. They locked horns philosophically. Doyle tried to convince Houdini that some people had the gift to break through to the spirit world, that's Eastern thought, and he became the chief spokesman in his day for the paranormal. Spiritism was a more viral and manly doctrine than Christianity, he told Houdini. Houdini, on the other hand, believed in God and the afterlife. And so Doyle began to promote Houdini as a medium, of all things, endowed with occult powers and said the only way Houdini could escape was by dematerializing. 
Well, Houdini finally had to come out in the public, and here's what he said, and I'm quoting. I do not dematerialize or materialize anything. I simply control, I manipulate natural things in a manner perfectly well known to myself and thoroughly accountable for and adequately understandable, if not applicable, by any person to whom I may elect to divulge my secrets. So he's saying, I'm just a trickster. I've learned how to manipulate the natural phenomena and make it look like something that isn't real. In 1924, Houdini told a reporter, it takes a flim-flam artist to catch a flim-flammer. So there you have it. Doyle, the intellectual in his novels, glorifying human deduction and reason in his character, Sherlock Holmes, but an avid believer in the paranormal personally. And Houdini, an admitted trickster in life, an admitted trickster, whose feats of magic by his own admission were only illusions and not true because there was a perfectly rational explanation for everything that he did. So here's the last test. Question the quacks. Question them. Stop the gullibility. God has given you a brain. And as a Christian, Paul says you have the mind of Christ. This is why Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Colossians 2 verse 8. Sad commentary is that author, author Doyle, whose detective could say, to his sidekick, it's elementary, Watson. Could not kick the fallacy of the paranormal, but became a parrot in propagating this deception in his day. Brethren, we're, we would be subject to this too if, if we weren't people possessed by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. When the Lord comes and gives us the truth of the gospel, he gives us a discerning ability to detect the false from the true, the charlatans from the real, true apostles, the true writings, the true teachings of Christ from those that propose to be these things but are really are not. They're emissaries of Satan who portray themselves as angels of light and angels of righteousness when they are not. If you go on television on Sunday morning, the charlatans are there. Not everyone, but the majority are there. And they have huge followings. And they will talk about love and Jesus and the love of God and loving one another and, you know, smidgets here and there and so forth. Some will even be involved in the paranormal, supposed miracles, and so on. But it's all a hoax. The deceiver is sending people to those programs to convince them of the lie. And Paul says in our text, look out, when the man of lawlessness comes, you ain't seen nothing yet. Nothing. 
Our Lord, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. Please deliver us from ourselves. Deliver us from being hoodwinked. We so much want to see the supernatural. We want to see a miracle that we have convinced ourselves sometimes that people, teachers, what have you, are of God when they are not. They're just tricksters. And they're clever at it. Like this Jim Jones character. People looking from the front of the platform thought he was actually pulling cancerous tumors out of people. It was chicken livers. It was all deception. It was all a lie. But, in addition to that, with regard to the real sorcerers who have satanic power, we are forbidden. Mankind is forbidden by you to engage in people that call up the dead, to go to mediums, to go to spiritists, to do any of those things. And it says in the Deuteronomy that it was because of those evil and wicked, satanic, occult practices that God brought judgment upon the Canaanites and allowed Israel to be victorious. And what's our country doing? It's deserting Christianity and going back into the occult. Lord, forgive us. May we be bold as Christians to proclaim the gospel and to tell people up front that they're playing with fire, literally, and they're on a course of deception, the broad road that leads to hell. They haven't found the narrow road that leads to the kingdom of God. Help us to be bold in declaring Jesus, for we ask for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.